the Seahawks rebounded with a big win over the 49ers. The venerable Danny O'Neill joins us to discuss that, Pete Carroll's value, the rise of DK Metcalf, and much more. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my esteemed producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? While this may seem counterproductive from a mental and sometimes physical health perspective, I am ready and willing to talk about the Seattle Seahawks, Jackson. <laughs> I'm ready to do this. That's a dangerous mindset, man. Well, good news is we got a little bit happier vibe in the lounge this week. Seahawks coming off a crucial win against the 49ers. We'll have lots more on that, as well as a look ahead to the Rams on a short week. But joining us to do all of that is one of the heads of the table in Seattle sports media, a man whose experience is unmatched and whose greatness is eclipsed only by his humility. The one, the only, Danny O'Neill. Danny, thanks for joining us. I'm very grateful to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, but we need to we need to chill with uh, the the superlatives. I, I I don't even think I work. I, I'm not in Seattle media anymore, right? Like I didn't have <laughs> anything else to do. So you guys are you guys you guys are nice enough to provide me with a with an outlet to be able to talk. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, only surpassed by his humility. <laughs> and and against against Danny's wishes. Uh, I am going to give those few of you listening who may not be familiar a quick rundown. Uh, many know this already, but Danny's experience in Seattle sports media includes beat coverage of the Sonics and the Seahawks for the Seattle Times, worked for the Seattle PI. Most recently, he was a radio headliner for 710 ESPN Radio. Uh, Danny, now that that chapter has kind of come to a close, can you I tell us canned? a little bit about... Why, you're, just, you're just not going <laughs> to say that part of it? <laughs> Well, you, you and everybody else, man. I mean, let's, <laughs> you can, you can speak on that as much as you want. No, I have no, I have no hard feelings. I have a- absolutely. And, uh, the way, the way things it's, it's a tough time for a lot of people. Um, and those are, those are hard decisions. I'm bummed for my co-host Paul Gallant, but no, seriously, I don't, I don't have any, I have, I have zero hard feelings. Well, that's, uh, that's awful gracious of you. Uh, Danny has graduated beyond the sphere of Seattle sports media. <laughs> what are you up to now, man? Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find work. <laughs> I'm, I'm pivoting more toward uh, freelance writing. Um, I've been making pitches. I've, I actually, I think I placed my first uh, magazine writing assignment, something that's not in sports. Um, it's going to be about the DB Cooper skyjacking. No is, way. Yeah, yeah. It's a 50, 50 year anniversary. This is no, it uh, isn't. Yeah, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it'll be the 50 year anniversary of when he he got on board that plane and and ended up at some point jumping out with two hundred thousand dollars. So I'll write something about that. Um, I am working on a nonfiction book on Pete Carroll. Um, it's something that I joke with people that I've I've half written four different times. So I'm I'm in the in the process of consolidating all of my. Uh, my incomplete attempts and and kind of trying to get some more momentum on that my my goal which i think is have a first draft done uh, a year from now um and 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 go from there i i don't know if it will be anything more than a good book but i think i'm capable of writing a good book on the subject and that's my goal so i think i i think one way or the other i'll be able to 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 get it in paper printed somewhere 
we'll see. Well, that's great. That's great. And my question is, I mean, that sounds like a pretty boring subject matter. How did you find enough material to fill a book with? (laughs) He's an interesting character for a lot of different reasons. And I I think even over the past couple of weeks, as I've been trying to refine the topic, his time in Seattle from the beginning was going to be a referendum on him, right? Like when he when he came here, it was he was either going to show that he was more than people gave him credit for when he was fired for the second time, that he had learned and accomplished something at USC and he was going to be able to sort of bottle that and transport it to the NFL, or he was going to be a, a great college coach who just wasn't cut out to coach grown men, right? Like that was that was going to be the referendum. And in some ways, he's both shown all of the skeptics that he's way more than they imagined. And yet you can also argue that he's confirmed in what has happened since they won the Super Bowl and specifically kind of over the past five years kind of confirms if, if you were anti and negative toward Pete, you would say, Hey, this shows some of the, some of the problems that we predicted based on how he manages people just in terms of the players kind of acting out having be 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 more difficult to control like did that get in the way of some of their success so yeah i he's he's a pretty rich topic and there's nobody that's more op, open in the nfl about what they've done so um i i hope to be able to add something new to to the discussion you are eminently qualified to write that book and and it's interesting what you're saying i mean especially with everything that's going on with urban meyer right now i mean it's it's such a such an interesting contrast as far as being able to make that jump from college where you're a God and, you know, uh, the most important person on campus and sometimes the state, uh, to go into the NFL and, and seeing what transfers and what doesn't. Yeah. Why, why did urban talk about that on Monday? Like as, as I've gone through, like I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking and, and talking to different people about it and written some about it. Why did he talk about it? Because I think that this could have died if it didn't. It's it's a really, in some ways, it's a really weird scandal because there's a lot of things about Urban Meyer that make me believe that he shouldn't supervise people. Like he shouldn't be a manager. Like the, 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 that he's that's that's not something he should be trusted to do. But this actually isn't. This is more like a personally embarrassed. Like I could I could get how his wife is mad. Or is ready to like Urban? You're you're not staying in this house this week. Or or I mean, I could see why she's like white hot furious. But everybody is like, yeah, that's a wrap on him. He needs to get up out of there. And I'm like, really? That's the straw that breaks the camel's back? Like that's what does it for everybody? Yeah, totally. And for those that aren't uh, in the know on on this, uh, Urban Meyer, coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, venerated coach of Florida Gators, Utah Utes, and uh, most recently the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, <laughs> was filmed uh, from multiple camera angles. Yeah, uh, we had an alternate club. angle. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just a, a one-shot deal, but um, after losing his fourth consecutive game to start the season, instead of flying back with the team, he decided Which is to wild in the NFL. That, that's crazy. <laughs> that that is crazy on its own. And I wonder, I, like, I've if that's something that. he did in college or yeah, or what? maybe. I guess nobody's there to tell you no. And then he said today, <laughs> he said today, like, oh, I cleared that, that with Trent Balky. I was like, like you're asking Trent Balky for permission for anything. Like yeah. you told people you weren't flying back. Never heard of an nfl coach no it's and it's crazy too yeah and so he he instead goes out to dinner with his grandkids and (laughs) got 
roped onto the dance floor by an evil group of collegiate women and uh anyway that was his, that was his story I saw urban urban was yeah. not a relate he was yeah. not reluctant. no no no, no. Like, so anyway no, the dance. video yeah the video if you haven't seen it is he's he's photographed uh many times with with some young women there's video of women dancing up on him um he, his hands certainly aren't in their pockets and so uh he is now answering for that and to danny's point it's odd that he is answering because who was it was the the gruden uh not not John Gruden, uh, the Washington coach. Why am I speaking on his name? Jay Gruden. He had a very similar thing a couple years ago, too, where he was outside a bar, yeah. hammered, talking to some woman, whatever, uh, after a game. And he never spoke on it, and it just sort of went away. I mean, he, he didn't last long anyway, but it is interesting that Urban just keeps like – Throwing kindling on this fire. Yeah, why is he talking about it? to talk about. <laughs> I also heard someone, and this has been my favorite description of it, like, this confirms that Urban drinks dark liquor. Like, that, what was going on was definitely dark liquor behavior, which I was like, oh, that is eloquent. Like, That's... And I actually I actually agree. That is, that is dark liquor behavior. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, I'm I'm really glad everyone joined us for the Urban Meyer episode, <laughs> but we do have some football to get to. However, we also need to acknowledge something, a, a trend on this podcast. Cigar Thoughts is an exclusively Danny-based podcast so far. <laughs> In fact, you, Mr. O'Neill, mentioned via tweet that this may be the impetus for OnlyDans.com, which, <laughs> yes, I mean... That's yes, correct. you gave us the ETA for the book. When's the website coming? I don't know, but <laughs> we're, 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 we're a little worried. We're a little leery about uh, platforms that promise all access. And then all of a sudden they get a little, they get a little hesitant about it when you go, go full Monty. So we're making sure that we get all of our, all of our provider information squared away. But yeah, this raises a question for the future, right? I mean, using the guiding hand of the ubiquitous metric, Daniel adjusted value over average, also known as DVOA. I've assembled a list of guests to keep the trend going. So your task is as follows, gentlemen, please rate the following Danny's out of 10 10, of course, representing the most Danny a Danny can possibly get. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. All right. We're starting with the goat himself, S-tier Danny, Danny DeVito. He might be the most – he's he's upper 10% for sure. Might be, might be the top top Danny. It's possible he's the top Danny. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a Danny that's Dannier than Danny DeVito. I'm I'm drawing a blank. I gotta say he's at least like a nine five. Yeah. Is yeah okay. Next, Danny. Let's let's hear who the next Danny is. But I would agree. I I think I think Danny DeVito is 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 upper echelon. Great. All right. So the next Danny up is Danny Glover, the esteemed Danny Glover. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> now he's the interesting thing about him is that he is someone you would not expect to go by Danny. Like you really expect this. Uh, He's a serious actor with an incredible resume. Like, don't don't you expect Dan? Like, don't you expect it? He's a surprising Danny. I I would not have expected him and and everything that he's done and 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 certainly with Sergeant Murtaugh to be a Danny. So that puts him. That guy's got some serious confidence to have the acting career he's had and to have stuck with Danny the entire way. Third up, Danny Tanner. <laughs> 
She's Danny Tanner. That's, that's Bob Saget from Full House, baby. That's no that is. And the addendum to that question is independent of his role as a Danny in the show Full House. How Danny is Bob Saget? Saget's funny though. Danny's aren't really funny. I guess DeVito is, but in kind of a but like Saget's hilarious. Like he's like true. Yeah. Yeah, Saget's more of a Bob too. He's more of a Bob. Hey Bob. By exposure to him was Full House, America's Funniest Home Videos. When I first heard his stand-up, it was shocking. Yeah. Shocking to me. I, I mean, I loved it, but it was just not what I was expecting at 14 years old or however old I was when I heard it. There's a theory I have that Saget's comedy career was in large part like reacted to like he enjoyed trolling an audience. Like he enjoyed the fact that there might be some people there coming to expecting the dad from Full House to come out. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, that's what you thought. Guess what you're getting is you're getting Saget. And that he enjoyed the shock value of that. Well, he, he certainly. Do we have other Dannys? Does Bonaducci make the list? <laughs> well, okay. Well, okay. Give us the rating. <laughs> I don't know. Bonaducci's pretty hardcore. Like that, that dude. Yeah. He's kind of the wild card. He's the street fighter in the group. <laughs> oh, no question. No question. My, uh, my brother was a, a professional MMA fighter and a very good one. And as he was working his way up, you know, some of his biggest fights were at the Emerald Queen Casino and Danny Bonaducci was like the MC for a lot of those fights. He was up there getting the crowd hyped. Dude, very much fit the brand. Okay. Final Danny. And this is, this is the most important one guys. We're talking the 17th century Swiss godfather of fluid mechanics here. We're talking Danny Bernoulli from Bernoulli's <laughs> Principle. Come on. How Danny? I've been told per sources that his friends back in the 1800s would call him Danny. He was explicitly a Danny, not a Daniel. <laughs> now, that's quite amusing. Hydraulics are important. It's pretty nerdy. It's pretty nerdy. It's pretty nerdy. I think I think he is he's the lowest rung on the Danny pedestal. He's certainly below. I think it goes DeVito, Bonaducci, Danny Tanner, and then we get the hydraulics guy way down at the bottom. That's valid. I think that's the perfect point to move along to something that's not nerdy at all, and that's cold, hard, salt-of-the-earth football. Oh, man, and thank God that game went the way that it did. Because <laughs> I, I tell you what, man, the first 20 minutes, 22 minutes of that game, I I was really reevaluating the quality of the team that we were following and cheering for. Because I get, you know, the loss to the Titans, that happens. They laid an egg against the Vikings, but you expected some sort of bounce back. And, and the issue with this team has not been the first quarter offense, but they were putrid for a while. It was a throwback to what we've seen for years in which the offense is terrible, really up until kind of the final possession of the first half. And usually, I mean, that's even become a joke. Like they start running the good offense, right? And usually what that means is, okay, Russell's got more control and he scrambles around some. And because they're in a two minute or a accelerated pace situation, all of a sudden they move the ball. That's kind of what it looked like. And we hadn't seen that this year. The, the issues that they'd had on offense and they'd had issues were primarily related to, to second half production. I want to give their offense credit for taking the best shot that San Francisco had to give. I think that's important to acknowledge the rest of that game. It's really hard for me to come to. I think the rest, 
I think overall the result said more about San Francisco than it did about mm-hmm. Seattle. I, I think mm-hmm. it said, and whether we'll see what they're able to do long-term. I think Kyle Shanahan has a really good offense if he gets an average quarterback. He doesn't have an average quarterback right now, and it was pretty clear that Jimmy Garoppolo, whether he's hurt or just bad, it's he's untenable at this point. And Trey Lance, they do not trust to throw the ball. He is a beast running. I would encourage them, if they're interested in the health of their quarterback, to stop doing the uh, the dive draws where he goes diving into the middle. But that dude is an absolute handful when it comes to running. But they do not want him throwing the ball. Yeah, yeah, it was really clear. And and to go back to the offense real quick, it's it's something we talked about last week where it feels like those first few drives where all the plays are scripted. Seattle's done really, really well with, and we've seen lots of motion, lots of misdirection, the kind of things that we've been asking for. And we see that early and they've responded by, you know, averaging almost 20 points per game in the first half through the first three games, which is incredible. And like you said, very different than what we've become accustomed to. Uh, In this one, we didn't really see that on those first few drives. It looked very static, um, stodgy almost. And, and Russell Wilson after the game talked about how he kind of took control of calling some of the plays at the line of scrimmage. And then they started going. And then we started to see, you know, those first two big plays that worked out with Collins and DK Metcalf that really got them going and never looked back. Those were play action. Those were motion plays. Um, how much, what, what do you take away from the fact that Russell Wilson saw this wasn't working and said, ah, guys, I got this. I think we need to see a longer sort of sample side like we need to see more results before we can draw conclusions because i can come up with a couple different thoughts one is have have they already has pete already sort of put the crimp on some of the things that waldron was trying to do i don't know that that's happened um i appreciate what what russ is saying i also know that russ has so much confidence in his own ability that you, he's not always a reliable narrator for what actually kicked the offense into gear. And that there are times, and this is, there are times Russ needs to be willing to settle for singles and take his walks as opposed to, to throw in deep. So there are times that Russ's own sort of belief in the ability for the big play, that he's the one holding out that, that holds the offense back. But I do... I'm not surprised that that there have been some growing pains. I think everybody should expect it. This is the first time really since Russell's rookie year that he's in a new offense because even when they switched from Bevel to Schottenheimer, most of the estimates that I've seen, about 70% of the playbook stayed in place. Like Schottenheimer started calling the Seahawks plays and then he added his own things. And part part of the idea there was that they were going to get rid of, they had the two headed monster of cable calling protection with bevel calling the pass plays. And okay, we're just going to have one offensive corner. This is a new offense. So I don't want to jump to conclusions about exactly what is happening, but I noticed the same thing you did, which was that looks a lot how Seattle played previously and didn't resemble as much of what we saw the first three weeks we also saw the same sort of stagnant, what are they doing, just inept offense for the first 25 minutes of the game. And then all of a sudden, it's just like things click into place. We've seen that before. So I think there's a lot that still has to be unraveled. And Russell's still learning. Like there's there there are going to be 
there are going to be growing pains. It doesn't surprise me that it hasn't looked exactly as great as it did in that first game against Indianapolis. Um, I, I think that overall, I'm really optimistic about how the offense has played and how it has looked. The, the defense is, is, is where most of my concern is. I think their offense will figure it out and will become more consistent by the end of the year and will be explosive. I think it's a good point and one that I agree with because as bad as it was, and, and we say it was bad early, they had negative seven yards through 22 minutes. Yeah. But, you know, we, we saw how quickly it can turn. And I think that as fans and as people that cover a team, it's the temptation is often to make value statements about what a team is at these different data points along the spectrum of a season. And we have, we should know better by now that, you know, uh, a 17 game, now a 17 game season plus playoffs evolutions happen. They happen as injuries mount. They happen as uh, roster transactions take place. They happen as teams learn their new schemes. Like for example, Seattle will get better at running Shane Waldron's scheme, presumably as the season goes on the same time, every game puts more tape on film of how they want to run this. So defenses are going to be able to adjust to that. And so it's, it's a challenge, I think, to resist the urge to say like after last week, well, this is the worst Seahawks defense of all time, for example. And then they bounce back and really played a nice game and, and no question. Seattle San Francisco's quarterback play aided them in that to some degree, but I thought that they did a good job applying pressure. I thought their coverage was much better more than anything. They looked cohesive. The scary thing about the Minnesota game, sometimes you get out schemed and that's fine, I guess, or just outplayed. I mean, Minnesota has some really talented offensive players, but they look lost. They're yelling at each other after plays. No one knows who to cover. You got three guys covering one receiver while two others are running free. We didn't see that this week. And, and I think there's a lot of credit that goes to Pete Carroll, who we were very critical of as a defensive-minded coach last week for getting that together. The biggest challenge or the biggest problem in the Minnesota game was figuring out how those coverages were getting goofed because they weren't getting beat over the top. And that's... That's that's the deal breaker in Carroll's defense. That's what gets guys benched usually is, okay, your corners, your corners cannot give up completions down the sideline outside the numbers. Like that's just, they, they, you absolutely have to cover that back end. The, the safety over the middle has to be, he has to keep it in front of him. And, and that, the, the, the inability to do that is an explanation for why you've seen guys and why they've gone through so many players at that spot before they got to Quandre Diggs because that's, that, that's a non-negotiable for that position. Against Minnesota, what their, their two longest completions to Jefferson were short crossing patterns. Like that's, and, and they got them moving in the wrong direction, and then Trey Flowers after the game sort of pointing toward it's not on the coverage, it's not on what we're doing, which in my mind was saying the linebackers weren't getting deep enough on their drops, that the that the linebackers were letting that happen. Then Trey Flowers is 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 not playing corner the next week. It's Sidney Jones that's out there. So it's 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 clear that there are issues with with how they're playing things. I agree. I think they played better against San Francisco. That the question, you're now going to go against a better quarterback. And Matthew Stafford is, and he's there's they've got their own questions coming off of this game that the getting smoked by Arizona, but that 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 question of 
Seattle's not going to be able to win a game against the Rams in which they have to score more than 35 points. I don't I I they they're going to they're going to have to keep the Rams to something something manageable. I don't expect them to keep them below 20 points, but that is an offense with that quarterback and the receivers that they have that this could be a real problem for them. I I actually am fairly optimistic about this this game, but yeah, you can make a really strong case that that the Rams' strengths line up against Seattle's biggest weakness, being their wide receivers versus Seattle's corners. I think the Rams are honestly one of the most fascinating teams in the NFL. Like, I, I oftentimes think, and we'll we'll talk more about the Rams here in a bit, but you know, I oftentimes think about like if I was just dropped into this country in like South Dakota, and I loved football, and I had no natural allegiance to any team. Uh, who who would I enjoy watching the most? Who would I be most interested in? And the Rams are definitely on on that short list. Um, I want to come back to a couple of things in the 49ers game. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me, and I haven't heard if there was anything regarding like an injury behind this or or what, but I'm a big Chris Carson fan. Um, as far as running backs go, he's a guy that I am grateful to have on our team. I think that he brings a lot of the physicality that you look for from a runner as well as the explosiveness, but man, he was completely outjuiced by Alex Collins in this one. Do you think this is just sort of a one-off situation or do you think that we have something where now maybe there's not a clear lead back and, and to give context, Chris Carson had 14 touches for 31 yards didn't score. Collins had 12 for 78 in the touchdown. And and frankly, just eye test just looked faster and more explosive. I think Carson's banged up and I, he's a question mark going into this game. They're saying it's a, it's a, a, a sore neck. I think he got banged up early. There's pressure on Carson to play through some of the bumps and bruises. That's kind of been a quiet tug of war over his first four years in Seattle. And it's not, look, he's had big, excruciating injuries like there's no but there have been other times where it's been soft tissue things and sort of so I I think he felt pressure especially after the contract to stay in that game I don't think he was 100% I I I think he got banged up pretty early on and he tried to tried to game his way through it but you got a short week now and it's not like that Rams defense the Rams are such a weird team they've got they've got two of the top in my mind two of the top five defensive players in the league in Ramsey and Donald, but they're not deep. It's not a deep team at all. Um, but yeah, I, that it jumped out to me too. Collins, Collins looked good, and that's on the one hand a real positive because coming into this season, it was thought that he was probably playing for a roster spot. And by the end of it, you're like, he looks better than than anybody else they have, and certainly looks better than Penny. And now Penny's hurt again. So that that's a good sign, but yeah, you Chris Carson's their best running back, and and I think in my mind it was pretty clear he was limited, and I think there's a question about how much he'll be able to run against the Rams. Do you think Collins looks good enough that if Carson is banged up, they don't feel the need to run? like? Let me rephrase: Can you feel confident in Alex Collins is your RB one against the Rams, or is that hurting you as an offense? Are we going with Shane Waldron's offense, as he wants to call it, or the offense that Pete <laughs> has opted for? In the I past? think that is going to be the question every week this season. But let's give let's go with Shane Waldron. Yeah, not as much if it's Waldron. They 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 have enough weapons on offense, man, and they really do between Disley and and Gerald Everett. 
there's been his own availability questions. Lockett and Metcalf, who have, I mean, Lockett continues to be, anybody who calls him underrated is just ignoring him at this point because the, the numbers are there in his productivity. I like what Freddie Swain's done. They've, they've got enough on offense that even if you're not, even if you don't have your best running back, you, sh- you should be able to compensate for that. So that, that, that would be my answer. If you need him to carry 15 times to win a game, I, I think you're in trouble with Alex Collins. But I don't, I don't, I, we should be past that at, at this point with Seattle's offense, especially given their quarterback play. You mentioned my single favorite topic on the planet, DK Metcalf. And I want, I want to chat about him a little bit. You know, he, he was kind of all they had in the passing game, um, leading the team in catches, targets, yards, had the touchdown, a classic DK Metcalf touchdown, trucking two guys into the end zone. Um, <laughs> I never thought that I would love another Seahawk on the level that I loved some of the ones from that Super Bowl team. The, the size of the personality combined with the on-field talent and and yet here we have a guy that is one of the coolest players in the NFL already and I think it's very very realistic that within a couple of years he's just the coolest player in the NFL I think he's earned the respect of his peers he's you know looks like a god he's the fastest dude he's the biggest dude he's training for the olympics he's doing celebrity softball he's got the hair and the binky i mean he is like doing it right Uh, i'm I'm into this conversation like i'm into this (laughs) idea of the coolest athlete uh when i was in high school i went to high school in the northern bay area um santa cruz county and we would have arguments about the coolest person in sports or the coolest the coolest guy on the planet and this is going to date me. I'm 46 years old. But my junior year in high school, there was the our arguments for the coolest guy on the planet came down to Lenny Kravitz versus Slash. Like who was cool, oh, yeah. Lenny Kravitz uh-huh. or, or, or Slash? And we all decided in 1993 that the coolest guy in sports was Dusty Baker, which I 100% stand behind. Like Dusty <laughs> Baker is just the coolest. Like there was last week he was asked a question about um, – all of the, the dusty this is the fifth different team you've managed into the postseason what's your reaction to that and he goes well my reaction is why the hell did i have to manage so many different teams <laughs> like, that's why he's the coolest so the idea yeah. of the coolest who's the coolest player in the nfl now is it jalen ramsey's up there coolest jalen player Ramsey's in the NFL. up there coolest player in the nfl man i think uh, mahomes it, it's probably not, it, oh mahomes but mahomes is kind of dorky like Mah- he is a he is a little dorky. You're right. You're right in that Mahomes has got that, but he's got a little bit of dork that he kind of owns. Like it's a little bit of he's not the most fashionable. Um, he eats his steak with ketchup, man. That's not yeah. cool. Yeah, that's not that's, I, that's endearing. But he owns it's it, right? Lovable. He's out there on a State Farm yes, commercial doing it. It's slightly herb like. Like it's slightly herb like to be able to eat to eat your steak with some no, it's, ketchup. It's it's true. He he's my immediate reaction. Uh who would you say? Because I, I do think it was Marshawn for a long time. Mar- I think Marshawn the conversation began and ended with Marshawn. And I think that'd be the same if you talk to fans or to players. Who would you say is the coolest athlete right now in the NFL? I might go Jalen, man. Jalen yeah, Rams Jaylen's is pretty cool. smooth. Also, like Jalen gets some points because there was the whole back and forth between he and Golden Tate, which I'm not talking about the root of that, which involves Tate's sister who was who was with Jalen Ramsey, 
But as they were going back and forth before that game, then in that game, Jalen Ramsey absolutely lit up Tate. I love Golden Tate. I love the way he plays. I think he's tough as nails. Jalen Ramsey destroyed him on that play. Like, just absolutely made him I remember this. Tackle. So, because it's not Odell Beckham. Like, some people have said Odell Beckham. I'm like, Odell's, Odell's too focused. Like, Odell's too modelish. Like, too, like, he's so focused on his appearance. Um, and, and he is. He's smooth, and he's an incredible athlete. But I don't know if he's as... I, yeah. Well, I, it I changes. Mean, I, it changes quick, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it tough to stay yes. on top for for a long time. You know, but I, could, uh, I could see DK Metcalf making it there. I I thought what he did at the at the track trials was one of the coolest things because it showed a level of confidence that most athletes of that caliber do not possess because he was doing something that he was not expected to be good at. He was making himself incredibly vulnerable and putting himself at a huge disadvantage in a very public display of the thing that he's known for, which is speed. And his his he wanted to see how he would do. He wanted to to, to measure. And the fact that he he went out and ran the way he did, I I could not have been more impressed. It didn't surprise me that he wasn't gonna win that race. And anybody who thought he would underestimates just how how incredible elite level track athletes are and that oh totally i mean the the precision of the start and just all of the any of that stuff the fact that he was willing to do that was awesome like the confidence and and willingness that it took to 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 take that i you mentioned your brother is an mma fighter i've always thought that guys that get in the ring to fight like no matter what you want to say about how guys that takes a level of incredible courage to go in somewhere and you know it's just you. It's just you against this other guy and your vulnerabilities, what might happen, how people re- will react if you get knocked out, all of those different things. Like that is, it takes such a level of courage. And it's obviously not the same physical risk to run, but it was. it's the same sort of thing. Like you could look really bad and and there's very little upside for you. But he was like, I want to do it. It was awesome. Yeah, he goes out and runs that a half second slower. That's still insane speed. But he's getting clowned because you're going to have these still shots going around Twitter where he's 10 meters behind the rest of the pack. And he like he was right there. He took he, when he got when she got dusted by the Jamaicans, right? Like when right. it was, oh, you talked right. all of that. Now you get. And instead it was like everybody was like. Yeah, man, that was okay. Boy can run. Yeah, 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 totally. So like on one hand, you have this guy that is like beyond cool. And, and then he is a wide receiver in the NFL, a burgeoning superstar. We have seen this story before with lots of people. And, you know, on one hand, you have this guy that has done all of these amazing, cool things on and off the field and also has this incredible, like he's been a total stud when it comes to his work ethic, to his preparation, you know, his, his basically shackling himself to Russell Wilson, just being like, Hey, make me a hall of famer. Like you love that. On the other hand, you have stuff like his Leon Lett fumble against Dallas last year. You had him screaming on the sidelines in the Rams game because he didn't have any catches. So they tried to force feed him a pass. It gets picked sixth. How how much do you hold that against him? Let's well well, that's the conversation. You're you're talking to as big a fan of this guy as you can. Yeah. I I've I've also been huge fans of other wide receivers and 
And he's about to become the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. At some point in the next year and a half, that's going to happen. And so what, what is your impression watching DK, watching his rise to stardom? Do you see, uh, are, are you seeing everything that you want to see from a guy in that position? There's not one thing that I identify from him that I would say is a warning or a, a blinking yellow light that says, watch out. There's not Love one thing. And that's not been the case with other receivers. I, but I don't, I don't see th- those sort of traits where I'm like, he's going to be more about himself. He's going to sort of skew the offense around him. He's going to make his presence sort of force other people to adjust to what he wants to make sure that he's fully. There's not one thing that I've seen. And even the thing on the sidelines, look, my perspective on this is that there are guys, because of the way Russell Wilson plays the position, there it can be incredibly frustrating to wide receivers who, when things aren't working, will say, throw the ball, release the ball. You're holding on to the ball too long. Now, Offensive linemen will get upset at that, but for a different reason. But for the receivers, what they're wanting is you're you're so concerned about avoiding an interception and your belief that you can make a big play that you're not letting me play my role within this offense. And I think this goes back to one of the reasons that there was tension between Doug Baldwin and Russell Wilson, because... That's from the receiver's perspective when things, the descriptions, it's not coming out on time. You're not getting some of, when I said, take your singles, take your walks. If things are going poorly for that offense, Russ doesn't tend to then sort of shorten up his swing or choke up on the bat. He, he, he tends to continue to look for the big plays down the field. I think that was the, that's what caused the frustration from DK. And I don't think it was anger at Russ so much as, come on, we've got to start going. And the, the call that happened after that, I put that 100% on Shoddy. Um, Ray, Ray, who I love to death, um, former left tackle for the, 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 the Seattle Seahawks, Ray talked about that screen and saying, hey, it really came down to a block that was there, that, 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 that the problem, the problem happened. I don't think it was. I think that play was, I think that corner recognized it from the jump. And, and at that point it was, if that happens and it's pattern recognition, that comes down to the play call. I don't, I don't think that that should be a reflection on DK. DK wanted it. So they catered to him. That's on the coach. Like that's you, you, you can't let your desire to get a player involved or whatever, whatever went into that, that, that was on the coaching. I haven't seen one thing that I would identify Jackson where I'm like, oh, I'm worried about this part of of his game. I'm just not about DK. That's extremely encouraging uh, because, again, you know, he's, he's my he's my guy. He's my favorite player, and you know, I I love love still, and but really loved you know. Richard Sherman, Marshawn Lynch, Earl Thomas, Michael Bennett, all those guys, other outsized personalities, other very cool guys. And and the way that they ultimately left 
the team were not on great terms. I mean, they ranged from awkward to flat out antagonistic. And so, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just a scorned lover. It's, it's on the radar. It's, it's something you hear some people talk about is, you know, but, uh, I, to be, to be clear, I think this is a very worthwhile conversation. I appreciate you accommodating it and, and giving it some oxygen. Uh, I do not think that DK is a diva. It is nice to hear someone who has been as connected to the team as you kind of confirm that because oh, uh well, dude don't 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 look to me i can't i, I can't even hold a job here like <laughs> shit, come on get out, of here. <laughs> get out of here man all right we're we're all gas no brakes on dk that's great that's great so we, we talked a little bit earlier about the rams and and you mentioned that they lost they they got waxed by the yeah Cardinals. they got killed i watched that game yesterday because i i was i was kind of skipping back and forth i watched the whole thing yesterday that that was surprising, man. I did not, I did not see, I don't have, I don't regard Arizona all that highly. So I, I was like, do I need to adjust what I think of them? And I, I do think Kyler Murray's playing incredibly well. Um, but I, I was, I was surprised that, that the Rams looked as bad as they did in that game. Yeah. So, I mean, Kyler Murray is going to be a problem, I think, for a long time. I, I would agree with you. Yeah, he's doing some of that. Like when I was talking about Russ taking his taking his singles, uh, Kyler's doing a little bit of that right now. With Kyler, you do have I, I do have questions about how he holds up physically over the course yep. of a season. Yep. I I I think we've seen him get banged up, and he's a smaller dude than Russ is. Like height aside, he's a smaller dude. He's he's more slight than Russell is. But yeah. And AJ Green, who I thought had a fork in him, I think we all did. Looks like he is he is a potent downfield weapon. Like there there are definitely some signs that that Arizona Arizona is not sort of the also ran in this division. I'm not I'm not quite ready to say they're the favorite, but yeah, that was that was a surprising result. Yeah, going into the year, uh, just if I were to handicap the division, I had the Cardinals on the bottom. I had. And then like a gap above them to Seattle. And then I went back and forth between San Francisco and the Rams on who the favorite for the division was. And, and that was reflected in the Vegas odds all off season too. And now I feel like I kind of got to recalibrate. How would you handicap? You're setting the odds right now. How would you handicap the NFC West? first through fourth in terms of most likely with their records, knowing what we know so far, how would you rank this division in terms of most likely to win it? So we've got to take that the Cardinals are out in front for no most likely to win the division. I think the winner of of the Seahawks Rams game is the most likely to win the division. Okay. I I, I, and, think, I, I don't I, I think the least likely team to win the division is San Francisco right now. Um I don't believe in Arizona over the long haul. I, I think the winner of this game on Thursday ends up winning the division. Um because if it's if Seattle wins this game, it kind of pulls pulls the Rams back into a tie. They'll have two losses. That go, going into last weekend's games, I would have said it's the Rams. And now, can I say that whoever wins the game between the Seahawks and the Rams, or is that too much? Do I need to prognose? Because I think the Seahawks no. are going to beat the Rams. So I guess I yeah. think the Seahawks are going to win the division. Okay, okay. Because if if they don't, they're two and three. And if the Cardinals win again, that's a three game spread, which is, is significant. You still got two games against them though. Yep. It's not, they don't have the game in hand yet. And it's 17 games. We don't know how that's going to, going to affect it. My, my belief was if Seattle was one and four, 
after the Minnesota loss, if Seattle was one and four, they're not making the playoffs. If they're two and three, that's not great. That that's I I, I but I'm not going to rule them out of a playoff berth. If they're three and two, if they if they take the win against the, the 49ers and then beat the Rams the yeah. next day, I actually I I think Seattle's in great position. I and I. I, I think see I think Seattle's going to win this game, so I think they'll win the division. Okay, okay, that's bold. So you mentioned earlier that, for the record, I still have Seattle like two at the <laughs> tops, but uh, that could change a lot if they look great tomorrow. Um, and and for those of you listening later today, but uh, you know, I want to circle back to uh, the reveal you gave us at the beginning of the show where you talked about writing a. A book on Pete Carroll, mm-hmm. and he is an evergreen conversation for Seahawks fans. I think any head coach is, but but there, it's especially tribal with Pete Carroll. And for me, I see really, and, and you alluded to this earlier, I do see two iterations. There was the rise to the championship, and I would even include kind of the next two years after that as having a similar bent, a similar swagger uh, in terms of the vibe of the team in terms of how they were coached on field. And then I see another, you know, the other half, the decline, if you will, it's not like they've fallen into disrepair, but there certainly have not been true championship contenders for a while. What, in what ways would you contrast the difference between 2010 through 2015 and 2016 to now? The 2010 to 2015 team was, built around its defense unapologetically and they don't win the Super Bowl without Russ and and Russ is what elevated them but that team's identity was its defense and I'll throw Marshawn in there in the way he ran but it was an aggressive swaggering team that said they were going to kick your butt then told you they were kicking their butt your butt while they did it and then afterwards gloated about having kicked you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that 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 was that and sort of this unrestrained celebration of uniqueness group of guys in many cases who had sort of bristled in other places, not been able to succeed in other places, who kind of found this it was it was sort of this marauding pirate ship is what I think of that group. Since then, Russell has clearly been the best player. They've tried to rebuild the defense, and they've never come close to getting that sort of swagger back to it. And I think that in those years since then, there's a little bit of Pete's got a style he wants his team to play, and he hasn't had the personnel to play that style, and they've kind of gotten caught between him going whole hog and saying we have to this is the way we have to play where he's like Russell's still getting opportunities but he hasn't also gone all in and say man we're going to be like the Saints with Breeze where it's 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 all on the quarterback so they've kind of been caught in that they're high centered a little bit in as a good but not great team and that's better than average in the NFL it's really hard to do what Pete's done in which they've made the playoffs 9 of the 11 years but they haven't they haven't been a contender at any point since in 2016. So that's the second year after they made the second Super Bowl, right? That's that's a year where they end up, they go on 
kind of a run at the end, but it's not quite as great as the run that they'd been in Arizona. It is in the playoffs, but you still kind of felt it. That was a team that you still said maybe they can get that momentum in the playoffs and they can make another run at it. I've never felt that way about any of the other teams since then. And that was the team that uh, the 2016. So they beat Detroit at home in a playoff game. And then they, they went up on Atlanta, had the punt return by, by Hester. They got nullified by a, a blocking yeah. penalty. Seahawks legend, kinda, Devin Hester. Yeah. And never <laughs> right. really recovered, but there was, you could talk yourself. I thought you could talk yourself into that year that, Hey, this team can make a run at it. I've never felt that, since then they've had a team that when the playoffs started you really felt that these guys are going to make a run at it it was more like i guess anything can happen they they've 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 not been able to get over that hump of being a team that's made the playoffs is a threat to make the playoffs it has a winning record but they they haven't they haven't really gotten back to being considered a great team and and i think some of that has to to do with being caught between their best player and their best chances being a style of play that their their coach really doesn't at his at his core believe in. Well, any discussion about Carroll and his coaching philosophy will eventually end up back at the genesis of all things Pete, right? He believes in the run game and how does that mesh with the passing game? So earlier today, first year Chargers head coach Brandon Staley made some pretty candid comments on the tangible value yeah. that running the football brings to an offense. And I've shortened the quote a bit slightly, but I, I think this is pretty all encompassing. So he said, if you're just a passing team, there's a physical element to the game that the defense doesn't have to respect. And that's the truth. What the running game does that the passing game does not is the running game forces the defense to play blocks and to tackle. In the passing game, those things don't have to happen. So what the running game does is it really challenges your physicality, and that's why I think the run game is important to a quarterback because it's going to allow him literally to have more space to operate when you do throw the football. It's not that you need the run game to throw it. It's just what it gives the rest of your skill players. You two went back and forth on Twitter earlier, kind of kind of fingering the topic a little bit, you know, and I'm I'm curious, how does this relate to Pete? You know, how does this how does this mesh in with Pete's philosophy? Because if I'm not mistaken, you think that it's kind of similar. I, I think what Brandon Staley said is he spoke what Pete says, only he used words that won't make the nerds bristle. That, that's that's honestly like when I when I heard it because Pete when he usually talks about it it's it, and he doesn't say this anymore but it's about completing the circle of toughness and you have to have a physical run game and establish the run is kind of the premise of that and everybody groans when that happens and there's a reason for that like there's a there there is a really strong statistical critique to be made of that style of offense but and this would be my own personal belief there's got to be something to the run game. There's got to be something to the run game that we're not able to fully value or understand strictly based on measurements like offensive efficiency or EPA, like, like the different the different ways that, that you, you have to measure that. And the reason I say that is I don't believe that Seattle is a 13-3 and three team that has been pulled down by its coach each of the past five years. I simply don't believe that. I do have questions about whether they would have been better off throwing more in some instances and leaning more into that, but it's not, it's not that Pete has gotten in the way of, of their success to the extent that I think people who are critical of his offensive approach 
believe. Um, and, and I think that what Staley said, I was like, huh, that it, what it sounds like is a more eloquent way of saying you have to be able to run the ball to win in this league. And he just, he just phrased it in a way where people are like, oh, well, that's saying, and because he's not saying establish the run, and he's not saying these things that set people on edge for understandable reasons. It's more palatable to guys who have begun to analyze and understand the game from a more statistical perspective, who are used to football men and football coaches saying, shut up, nerds, don't tell me what it's like on the sideline. Yeah, you've got this young coach who is unapologetic to sort of blend those two worlds because he- Smart coach, right? Very smart coach. And you know, he even mentioned that the data says you don't need to run the ball in order to play action pass effectively, which- That's completely true. It is, it's totally, it's totally true. Defenders have certain keys that they look for. And if you show run, they're going to typically show their run keys on defense and it opens things up, whether you're running the ball well or not. And it's count, it's counterintuitive to a lot of football guys because a lot of us played in high school or college or less or, or even, you know, NFL football back then. I mean, you were drafting running backs first overall. You were trading entire drafts for Herschel Walker and, you know, Ricky Williams and all these things. And and the idea was, well, certain running backs, you know, you really have to gear up for them. And that opens up the pass game, you know, and, and that's just, we're talking about an evolved sport at this point too. I mean, the rules and the skill at quarterback have just made passing a better option on any given play. But, Football doesn't exist in a vacuum. Single play calls don't exist in a vacuum. And you do need to be able to blend those things. I mean, there's still a reason that even the most pass-heavy teams aren't throwing it 100% of the time. And so, you know, if it was just as simple as, oh, your yards per play or your EPA or whatever is higher when you pass and you run, well, then why ever run? There's still a reason that the teams that pass the most are still running it at least a third of the time. Last year, I think one of the fundamental mistakes that was made in the postseason analysis of why they changed offensive coordinators was people thought that Pete was mad they didn't run enough. I totally agree with this. Pete Pete was mad. Pete concluded that it wasn't the volume of run. It was the effectiveness of the run. It was they're, they're giving us the run, essentially. They're playing cover two. They're putting a lid over the back of their defense, and we need to be able to hammer the hell out of them running the ball when they do that, and we couldn't do it. And that was the problem. It wasn't the volume of runs, and it wasn't the 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 sophistication of the offense or what Schottenheimer wanted to do. It was Pete looked at it and was like, you've got to be able to run the ball effectively in that situation, and we couldn't do it, so we need someone else in there. And And that's a much more accurate, like, how many times are you running into stacked boxes? And Pete does this. Pete's a terrible fourth down decision maker too. Like there, there are things and flaws that, that Pete has in his decision-making process that I think could be revisited. But there also is, I think people have such an aversion to the idea of the run game that it's almost a waste of time or anything you do. And it's, I, I thought Staley gave a pretty good explanation. This is going to be a, a, a metaphor to a different sport, but for years in baseball, once people started to understand how to measure uh, hitting efficiency, there was this huge aversion. Like all of the the sabermetricians hated Brad Osmus. And Osmus was a catcher and they would look at it like Osmus shouldn't be on the field. Like he doesn't do anything. He doesn't. And and he continued to play. And it, and it became a running joke of a demonstration of the stupidity of the manager. 
Well, it turned out now that we can measure pitch framing for catchers and pitch framing is recognized as a really valuable trait that catchers have. Brad Osmus was one of the best pitch framers that there was. And managers and pitchers understood that intuitively, even if they couldn't put a number to that. So I always try to be cognizant of there are things that guys who have a life in the game do have a feel for. It's not that they're bulletproof or that they're always right, and they certainly have blind spots. But there are things that they understand about the game that maybe we're not equipped to measure right now. So I I guess that's a long way of saying I, I do believe that there are flaws in Pete's approach. I do not believe that Pete is as clueless as some people are adamant about, especially on Twitter. <laughs> clueless on Twitter? Come on. Well, no, I mean, there's some, there's sort of the sense of like, he's the old man, he's out of no, touch, he no, says you can't win games in the true. first quarter, isn't it? And there's a, there's so a certain true. point where I'm like, I'm like, there's there's 25% merit to what you're saying, but you're giving it way too extra. And it makes me defensive of him, which maybe that's my own problem. But um, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'm just, I am just, deeply offended that the thought that Twitter is anything other than a safe space for deeply <laughs> scientific and respectful discussion. Yeah. 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 You shouldn't go on there unless you want to argue <laughs> but no, a little bit. More. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's important to realize that like I'm, I am pro analytics, certainly as a piece and, and a large piece of the way we evaluate the game, but we got to understand that we cannot measure everything, right? We are constantly coming up with new ways to measure things. And some of these metrics need to be stress tested. I mean, a lot of times you take an advanced analytic, just like you can do with any traditional stat and you rank the players by it. And it just doesn't match the eye test, right? You got, if, if a stat is saying that Teddy Bridgewater is, you know, way better than Aaron Rodgers because you're just looking at this one stat, you, you just know that's not the case, right? So I think it's important to understand that these are all ingredients in in a much larger meal. And decisions about whether or not a coach adds or detracts from a team's winning chances, those are such, it's like, like we tend to go overboard. Like the minute that needle goes over to like, he is detracting more than he is adding, which is an important consideration because your coach absolutely has to add to your chances of winning. That is his entire job. But if there are flaws that a coach has to then say, oh my God, this is abominable that he's allowed to continue, where I'm like, you can make an argument that Seattle might be better off with a better head coach, a different head coach. Like I I think that is a, I don't agree with that position, but it is certainly a tenable argument. But if we're talking about the margins by which that happens, it's it's like just barely a tick over because the dude wins a ton, which we know that all coaches don't. It's really hard to win as frequently as he does. And OK, so maybe he has a once in a generation quarterback that he's not maximizing as much. I'll, 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 I'll engage with with that part of it. But the idea that, oh, my God, anybody that would get in here could do it because yeah. he's pretty consistently gotten some really good results and. Name me a player who's gotten better when they've left Seattle. Like there's a couple like Tate, Tate, Tate continued to thrive when, when he left. I, I don't really think I'd put Frank Clark in that category. Maybe like there's a, there's a pretty strong example like Marshawn Lynch and Michael Bennett, and Richard Sherman. Now all those guys were in their primes, Earl Thomas. Like there's not, there's not a lot of examples of 
him having squandered a talent that absolutely blossoms elsewhere once they got outside of the the umbrella of his stupidity. So Right, I, the I, anti-Mariners I always, in that, that sense. Is this what, Mark Glowinski erasure? Uh, yes, Glowinski <laughs> certainly qualifies. I completely blame Tom Cable for him. That is Cable's yeah. fault. Cable yeah. will Cable will uh, will endure all all sort of slander for for his work on the offensive line. But like those sort of th- things, where I, I I don't want. I think people get carried away with feeling that like the old man's getting in the way of things. Where I'm like, no, nah, I I I really I think they've won more then they've lost because of him. I think he's been a net ad by a significant amount. You know, as someone who is guilty of that for sure, uh, would it be would it be fair to characterize your position as it, your chances of of bringing in a new coach, your chances of getting better or let me rephrase, your margin for improvement is smaller than the margin for a worse result. Oh, that that I believe in 100% that the likelihood that your next coach improves on the results or or worsens the results is significantly higher than it worsens. I would say that there's an 80%, maybe even 85% likelihood that your next coach does not win nearly as much as Pete does. It's kind of analogous to losing the Legion of Boom and expecting the next iteration of the defense to be anywhere close to Yeah, that. you also have an aging quarterback and and a lot of resources have been spent on this team right now specifically and and making sure but just in in general like the likelihood of that and by the way like I think the goal is to win championships and if you're really convinced that Pete Carroll is not going to win another championship I I I don't believe that means you should you should continue to have him have him coach the team because you're afraid it might get worse otherwise the goal should be to win championships especially when you have a quarterback that good there's a chance if you switch from pete that this thing craters but now that we know what championship football looks like finally after you know nearly 40 years we saw what it looks like we almost saw a dynasty with this team we we see okay there is a pretty substantial gap between the top four or five teams every year and what Seattle's rolled out for the last half decade. And for me, I fully acknowledge that there's a chance this thing goes completely off the rails with the new coach, but the things like the fourth down mm-hmm. uh, decision-making it's awful. The things like, uh, you know, the, the timeout management, which has been much better this year, uh, <laughs> the, that, that sort of thing makes me say, can can this guy win a championship with this roster? And may, maybe this roster can't win a Super Bowl. Maybe it can't, as currently constructed. I, I tend to think almost any team that doesn't outright suck that has Russell Wilson has a puncher's chance of winning a Super Bowl. I think he's that good. Is Pete capping them from doing that? And and, and I guess we'll we'll find out. You know, it's going to be interesting. He's not just the head coach anymore. He's he's the president of football operations. He is the king of that mountain. So um, it's going to take a pretty forceful decision to uh switch who the head coaches I, I would say this and i don't agree with that argument that you just made but if that's a valid argument like that's that that w- that's one where i don't think that it's overstated to the point where and i think that's usually where my my i get huffy on twitter which it doesn't take much to get me get <laughs> make me make me make me get huffy or or uh, online is is the sense that oh this is an automatic this is an easy decision oh my god i can't believe right. this because i'm like totally yeah that's totally. That, that's a, but that idea of hey we've seen this 
We've seen them attempt to reboot this for five years. They've been trying to turn over this defense, and they've spent a lot of resource. Like, you look up and down that defense, you look up and down that defense, and you've got first and second round picks and guys who've been paid. Like, there's uh, Daryl Taylor's a second round pick. You've got a first round pick that, that's out there, and LJ Collier, who's a healthy scratch. Like, you've got Jordan Brooks as a first-round linebacker. You have Bobby Wagner. You have Jamal Adams. You have Quandre. Like, those, there's a lot of resources that have been spent on a defense that I think right now is bad. I think it's a below-average defense. We'll see where it gets to. But but that's that's a little, and they've been working at that for five years. For five years, they've been they've been trying to get that get that better, and it and it has not happened. It has not come together. Well, folks, they said it couldn't be done. A reasonable and nuanced discussion of Pete Carroll. <laughs> But we did it. We are breaking ground here on the Cigar Thoughts podcast. I do want to take a look ahead to tomorrow's game. Those of you listening, tonight's game against the Rams. Danny, you say you think Seattle is going to win. Yes. When we're talking about this in a week, looking back on it, how did they do that? What did they do that allowed them to beat the betting favorite in the NFC? The Rams were insistent upon thinking that they could get the ball over the top whether it was Deshaun Jackson or Matt, Matthew Stafford being a gunslinger in his first opportunity, and Seattle's defense for all of the different woes that it possesses, it is a group that if, if you're not willing to concede and take the underneath stuff, if you're, if you're going to try and, and push the ball down the field, like they can rise up and bite you. And I think that that's what will happen in this game, that, that it's going to be turnovers, and it's going to be because the Rams got greedy on offense. The Rams got greedy on offense, and, and it, it played into Seattle's hands. I don't think it's a good defense, but I think that they can keep guys in front of them. And, and I, th- I, th- I think we're going to see the Rams get a little over their skis. I'm still, I think that that loss at home against the, the, the Cardinals and then going on the road against Seattle, I, I, I think that this is a Rams team that is going to be in, in a little bit of I think that they're feeling some doubt for the first time this season. And I think that's going to spiral. I think they're going to force things on offense. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's, you talked about turnovers. That is something Seattle has not done as a defense in years, which has to kill Pete. Uh, Can we, we, what, why does, why does Jamal Adams not defend passes with his hands? (laughs) Have you know, have you know, like there were two different plays where he's jumping into things with his shoulder and I'm like, I get it. You want to hit dudes. But like you have yeah. hands, like you have right. arms. Like, but he has those... the thickest shoulders in all the I, land, I and it'd be a it. shame for them to go to waste. <laughs> I get it. There was one. I swear to God, where he jumped in front, where it was like he was trying to shoulder the ball. Where I was like, oh. you know, and and last year I kind of came to his defense on that because he was playing with one arm, he's and I was like, up. yeah, yeah, his shoulders totally. ripped apart. His totally, and I was like, look, broken, that's but whatever. But there's now, no right? question. He's there's fixed. there's no no question, man. It's it's this is like, a soccer. It's, Use some yeah. hands. Yeah, exactly. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail type of <laughs> That's true. That's type true. of thing. I He did Jack Kittle up though, didn't he? Like he's he did Jack Kittle up on that. He's like he just saw ribs and he's like I'm going to hit him in his I know. Ribs. And and I love that. Like I don't I don't want to lose that, but yeah. Seattle does need to force some turnovers yes. and and that's something that that uh this insistence on not letting anyone get over the top has it's it's come at that cost because they've provided a lot of pockets underneath and you know, quick passes don't let the pass rush get there nearly as often. And and now you're relying on forcing fumbles in the open field for turnovers as opposed to interception. So I would love to see 
the Rams really push this. Uh, Russell Wilson has had a hell of a time in his career against the Rams. His numbers are actually pretty good. Uh, a lot of it, though, are these furious fourth quarter flurries. And uh, do you see with this offensive line, with this scheme, him avoiding another one of those five, six, seven sack performances against this Rams defense? I don't know. It's They certainly test him in all sorts of ways. And it goes through multiple coaches now and multiple D coordinators of how they've been able to bother him. And I, I don't think there's any secret that if – Russ can't break contain if you slowly collapse the pocket around him that's the best recipe because if he gets running and gets moving he gets more confident doing that and 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 if he breaks contain you're, you're screwed as a defense um the Rams because of their personnel and they're not as deep up front they don't have Brockers anymore but they still have Aaron Donald who is I, I, Call He's the best football player. player on the planet. Yeah. He's he he is who's the worst well <laughs> no, let, let, let it breathe, so baby. Who's the who's the best quarterback you would trade straight up for Aaron Donald? Like what how oh. good a quarterback would you because to me that's he is That's such a great question. He is the most valuable non quarterback. I think the answer I come to is like Baker Mayfield. I, I think if you gave me Baker, and especially because I, I haven't been impressed with Baker this year, I think Baker Mayfield's the best quarterback I would trade straight up for for Aaron Donald. But he's a, I can see Seattle winning this game even if Russell gets sacked five times. I think it's more about the turnovers. Are they able to have some success sustaining drives early and avoiding turnovers? And I I I think if Russell stays patient and doesn't take his singles, take take your walks, what getting the easy gains especially especially early will go a long way to sort of muting some of the pressure that he faces and not feeling that you're sort of underwater and fighting from from having having to just fight your way to get back into the game but yeah man we've seen it so many times Aaron Donald can shift the balance of an entire game well and and the thing that's so you know unique about that i we put so much emphasis in terms of salaries and uh, you know star power on edge rushers, and and that's the easiest way to get to the quarterback. But pressure up the middle is far more damaging to an offense, to a quarterback's ability to step into his throws, to his options, all of his sightline, all of these things. And and the one thing that is incomparable anywhere else in the NFL and that Russell Wilson has to face twice every year is Aaron Donald just collapses things up the middle. And to your point, there's no question that when, when teams just play contain on Russell Wilson, he's as likely to get himself into trouble as he is to get himself out of it. And that's hard enough. But when you have someone that's also collapsing the middle of the pocket, it, it creates this incredible tension between what Russ needs to do in that moment and what he is inclined to do. And I'm hopeful that he, I mean, (laughs) a trillion times easier said than done, but I'm hopeful that he has a game plan there and that, and that Shane Waldron has a game plan for that as much as anything else, because when that happens, there is no running around until you have the home run shot. There have to be some 
release valves in that offense. There have to be some quick throws. So I'm, I'm hoping that they're willing to do that. It's going to be uh, certainly a very fascinating game as they all are. I'm prepared to get my retinas seared by the action green uniforms. Are you an action green fan or a hater? Come on, man. Come on. You know what? You know what the most heartbreaking thing is that they're undefeated in top to bottom action green. Like they yeah. don't lose. It's, it's like the Mariners be having their best win record in those awful teal uniforms. Oh, I kind of like is, the teal. It's, uh, no, it's fine. I, I know. I, I know. I, 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 and I you know don't like the action me. green? I don't mind. No. What, what I thought was so funny is that the action green has not been tainted. Like I was like, I thought that was done after the Alindo Mare game. After the yeah. 2009, Alinda Mari misses the two field goals. Mora throws him yep. under the bus because yep. they and they had the worst version that had like the blue sleeves on those. Oh, I thought gosh, I, those I thought are... it was done after that. And now now I've kind of I I no, they like just the nuclear relish. They made them even more radioactive. Yeah. Man. My, my my thought was like, hey, maybe the goal is to like induce some seizures here, and that's going to give us a little bit of an advantage. But whatever whatever it is, it works. They don't lose in them, so God bless. I, like I say, I'm just, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm going to watch the game with shades on. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through it. There was a couple of years ago, the Jets and Bills played and it was like red and green, like Christmas. Oh gosh, theme. I remember this. Yeah. And, the colorblindness bowl. Well, yeah. Brock Hewitt's <laughs> colorblind. And so I remember asking him like immediately, I was like, what would you have done in this game? And he's like, it would have been a real problem because you couldn't, because usually he was saying like, you look for contrast or something like that, but with the helmets, like you wouldn't have had any of that. It, they both would have looked gray. Like you would have had to That's look crazy. for logos. Like really. And he's like, it would have been a huge problem. Like if you had a color. <laughs> and then I told him that that would have made me wish that we had seen it happen. And he's like, you're oh, a sick, man, you're a sick I person. Can't. Because yeah, like, I, I, he, he immediately <laughs> felt sympathy of like, thank God one of those quarterbacks wasn't colorblind. And I was like, wow, I wish one of them was colorblind. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> like have the right. coach appealing to the NFL afterwards. It's completely ridiculous that you didn't consider yeah. this. You've got a colorblind quarterback. We were fighting, but with one arm tied behind our back. Oh, man. How much How much do you think that colorblindness, say that you have like a Trevor Lawrence-like prospect that's coming out <laughs> in the draft, right? And then it's revealed on the eve of the draft, the eve of day one, the presumptive first overall pick, that he's colorblind. How far does his quarterback fall? It's He's still going top 10. If they're going to draft a redhead in the first round and Andy Dalton and overlook like the ginger gene, like they'll, 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 stick, with, they'll stick with the colorblind dude. They'll stick with him. It's not like a fighter pilot. Like you could, you could, you could win if that's the one time that it's happened in NFL history. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to tank. We, we've reached the pinnacle of our discourse. Oh, because I'm insulting gingers. No, no, this is it's okay. This is my sister's a redhead. My sister's, this, this my sister's is, a redhead. Hey, hey, man, this is this is a, a judgment-free zone. This is a safe I've got a space. red beard. I'm, I'm allowed to make those jokes. <laughs> you are, man. You are. This is this is judgment-free. Uh, well, Danny, I really do appreciate you joining us today. Um, I also want to thank everybody for the incredible support y'all have shown for this show already, whether it be on Twitter, on Facebook, and most importantly, through the reviews y'all have left. Um, really, really want to thank Danny for joining us. Uh, I can't tell you how excited I've been to have him on this show. Danny, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, I am... Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, Danny O'Neill, all one word. I also have started a Substack. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing with that yet. I'm using it as kind of a testing ground um, to to try out some different things. And it's also going to be where hopefully in the future I'll be able to circulate some of the work that I do as a freelance writer. And it's Danny O-Yo. 
I think if you search that in Substack or um, or, or Danny O'Neill in Substack, you should be able to find it. Or it's linked off my Twitter. Okay. Guys, make sure you're doing that. Make sure you're following Danny on Twitter. It's, it's one of my favorite follows and, and certainly someone I'm thrilled to have on this show. Uh, as far as we go, you can find me on Twitter at Jackson Bevins. Remember, that's J-A-C-S-O-N, no K, which is okay. Mike is at, at Mike Barwin, B-A-R-W-I-N, and the show is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Facebook at Seahawk Cigar Thoughts. And of course, this show and every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. I do want to say thanks very much for having me on. I'm really excited about this podcast. I'm excited about you having this platform. I've One of the things that I've always really loved about your work is the idea that you have behind it and the voice that you write with, which I think is really hard to do. And, and the idea that this is sort of how you ruminate on a game afterwards. Um, and, and, and the, and the it's just the, you sit and smoke a cigar and think about the Seahawks <laughs> and use that to write. I've always thought is really cool and kind of just, there, there are very few pieces of writing that I read on a weekly basis. And I read cigar thoughts every week where I feel like I understand the perspective the person is writing from. So I'm really excited to see where this podcast goes. Um, and I'm really, I'm, I'm grateful that you guys had me on. This has been a, a, a lot of fun. I'm really, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks Jackson and Mike. Oh, you, you got it, man. Danny, your support means the world to us truly. Thank you for saying that, man. I appreciate you having me on. I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, you know, going off of that, I, since we do have uh, an article coming out, um, the night that you guys are, are hearing this after the game, uh, just know that starting this week, we're also going to have audio versions of this article. So if it's easier for you to listen to it, we're going to have uh, an audio read of it. So you can check into this podcast and, and consume the Cigar Thoughts article that way. That's going to post uh, late after the game. We're also going to be on that uh, audio read talking about Marshawn getting the uh, new uh what what's what's his title danny player advocate player outreach that's hilarious the guy that football player football media wanted fine because he wouldn't talk to the reporters is now yeah. an nflpa out, outreach official and i can't honestly, i can't like, think of a better fit yeah i i completely agree more people should listen to marshawn no question um the way marshawn managed his money the way that he has managed his his perspective and stayed true to himself um in the midst of a business that look that is it is not built to, it's built to market football teams, not football players. And Marshawn has done extremely well for himself. I think that's one of the coolest things. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the best possible guy. And I, I can't imagine anyone with more gravitas to young football players in terms of the combination of being an OG and also young enough that all these guys grew up idolizing him. I, I think it's a perfect fit. So we're going to talk more about that uh, after the read tomorrow. So make sure that you download that episode, check it out. Um, if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your preference. That really does help us. It helps build momentum for the show as we try and build it out. And, and it really does mean the world to me. Um, we're also going to start doing some Twitter pregame lives. So uh, make sure you're on Twitter before the game tomorrow, tonight, as you're listening to it. Because uh, we're going to hop on there and talk a little bit about it live uh, before we get going. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. And that's going to do it, guys. Uh, we'll be right back next week with the incredible Mina Kimes from ESPN. 
Until then, onwards and upwards, my friends. 